0: a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold and it is uh, today we're going to do guide talk or guys who talk. So as you know or don't know, this is the uh, two-hour program where you ask questions and we do our very best to answer them. We've got a, a stellar lineup today. All you have to do is text your questions over 877-933-2484. Again, 877 933 2484 my power panel today is uh here around this studio and uh, even when we disagree we find it enjoyable because we like stimulating conversation uh these guys may appear smart and savvy uh without any kind of arrogance from what i can tell um, and they take your questions and the word of god very seriously and without taking themselves too seriously so i find these men relatable and debatable so, You stop. forgot good looking. Well, I, I was going to get to that, <laughs> okay. but you jumped in, so now I'm not going to say it. Sorry. So my power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, and Greg Borgon. That's the lineup. We've got a uh, professor, a pastor, and a Sunday school teacher. Yeah. Pretty complete. Good to be with you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Sound good? <laughs> this is a good group. It is a good group, and we love your questions, so uh, send them over, 877-933-2484. All right, gentlemen, uh, how is everyone uh, feeling today? Uh, warm, very warm. Yeah. Yep. Greg, you cut the lawn this morning. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> Got in 15,000 steps. 15,000 steps is
1: right. And I you. Almost collapsed in the process. Wow. Yeah. Well, you learn your lesson the hard way. My though. wife was watching me on the deck to make sure that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Tom
0: and, and Jeff, uh, all is well in your world, I Yes, I it is. Okay. So Thank far, you. so good. The Lord's been good. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So uh, a lot of great questions uh, coming in. Uh, so let us know, again, 877 right. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses uh, 3 to 5, uh, Paul uh, admits about his fear and insecurities as a, as a preacher. What's up with that? What do you think is going through his head when he's feeling insecure, um, saying, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the
2: Spirit's power. I actually don't see insecurity in his words here. I don't see a, a guy who's not sure of himself um, Paul, I, I, I would argue in the, all of his letters, is pretty confident about himself. Remember, he is the guy who got caught up to the third heaven and saw inexpressible things that he was not permitted to tell. He probably had more revelation from Christ than anybody walking on the face of the earth. I think he's saying it wasn't his words. It wasn't his power of persuasion. It was God's. I, I see that my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, it wasn't his ability to combine an argument and make a compelling case. That was what persuaded them. But it was by God's power, the demonstration of the Spirit's power, it says at the at the end of verse 4 there. So I think yeah. he, was, he was saying, it's not by me. It was by God. Remember that passage about the disciples where it says, who... But where do these men learn to speak with such power? These are wise and are uh, unlearned and unschooled men. Where did they get this kind of power? And I think that is who Paul is giving the credit to, to the Spirit.
3: I cannot tell you the number of times I have thoroughly prepared to teach or to preach. I put in all the effort and everything, little bit of butterflies going in, because it's still, you know, you're going in, it's a big responsibility. And yet, oftentimes the Lord will bring something to mind, or he will move in somebody who asks a question that suddenly opens a door I was not planning on. And yet it was the best part of the whole class or the the message because the spirit moved. And what it reminded me is this I'm a vessel. I recognize that. I'm imperfect. I fall short. However, I have great confidence in Jesus mm. and therefore I'm willing to speak no matter what. You know, I, I hope this will be an encouragement to you
1: because I identify with these feelings is having, whether it was as just described or not, here's the encouragement. God often does his greatest work through you at the inconvenient moments of your life. Mm -hmm. When you're feeling not prepared, not particularly spiritual, not wise, but you have fear and trembling, if anybody even asks you a question uh, that causes you to have to give an answer, So I relate to this, but when you rely on the Lord and you seize the moment and you step into your fear and you respond the best you can, God shows up in a powerful way. And you might not even be able to recount the specifics of what was said, only at the end uh, you'll sense his presence. So God often does his greatest work. And in
3: the inconvenient moments of your life. I have a true story that may touch on this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Jeff, if I've ever told you this story. I know, Greg, I haven't. I'm at Trinity Lutheran in Nihaha Falls, a very evangelical church. A lot of missionaries, a lot of evangelical work. Great church. Always observe Life Sunday. And we, we had ministries toward women with unwanted pregnancies. We'd help women educationally. We'd help women with insurance. We fellowship even after the baby was born. We'd work with them. So it's Life Sunday. Now, my boys are younger. At this point, I do three services. It's now the end of the third service. I'm getting tired. I'm coming to the end of the message. And it just comes to me. uh, Tell them about your boys, what you told them. I thought, that's crazy. And then I said, well, we've told our sons, Matt, Tim, and Andy, that sex is for marriage. But if they sin, they're still responsible. It's not just the woman's responsibility. It's theirs, too, financially, emotionally, all the way. If you're not at an age where you can marry if you you want to or you believe that's right, we will still support that baby, and we will take that baby into our home if the mother doesn't want it. We will raise that child. Now, two years goes by. It's another Life Sunday, and this lady named Claire comes walking up the aisle this beautiful little girl, throws her into my arms and says, this is your baby. I said, <laughs> what? What do you mean this is my baby? She said, two years ago on Life Sunday, my son who hasn't been to church in 10 years was here, His girlfriend was pregnant. They had an abortion at 9 a.m. on Monday morning. He heard the message, came under conviction, went home and told her she did, and this is that little girl. Now, go 20 years into the future. I'm at Perkins with my wife having dinner. In walks this great-grandmother, Claire, with this young woman, and she goes, oh, Pastor, I think you know my granddaughter. Uh, You really were important in her life. She's getting married in a couple of weeks, and I want you to know, you know, how we thank you for what you did. I didn't do anything. It was the Lord moving and it just simply happened. But that's an example for me of, you don't plan on it. You don't know where it's mm-hmm. going, but the Lord had a plan. Mm. Very interesting. All right, gentlemen, here's another question. As questions are coming in, let me know
0: what question you have. 877-933-2484. Uh, I'm a believer. My neighbors are believers. I practice my faith. I attend church. I volunteer. I tithe, I try to be a good Christian, and I attend a Bible study, read the Bible. My neighbors do none of what I practice. They don't feel a need to participate in any religious activity. My question is, when we are raptured or all die and go to heaven, will they be right there with me? Will I have a different reward in heaven than than them? Will I know more Bible people in heaven because I've studied them, or will we all be at equal heaven, equal levels in heaven? (laughs) That's a loaded question. I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, what's interesting about the comment is that, first of all, um, when a person received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, Scripture says there should be fruit befitting the repentance that was offered. And so, sometimes there's a gestation period (laughs) I've noticed and people make a commitment to Christ and then all of a sudden it just one day it blossoms the seed has been sown so i'm less um anxious to go ahead and immediately think that that individual can't possibly be saved first of all um as we said in a previous show uh, jesus or god knows those who are his mm-hmm. now when it comes to what's going to happen when we're taken Out of this world when we, either by the rapture or if we die and we're into the presence of the Lord, we all go before the judgment seat of Christ where we um, are given rewards for how we've lived our life. Not that it had anything to do with our salvation, but it had everything to do with the fruit that followed that commitment. So I think there is going to be some differentiation at that point. And if it's true and if they continue on the way that they are, um, it's up to the Lord to determine whether or not they're saved. And if they are saved, there's going to be, a, a, in a sense, a reckoning at the judgment seat of Christ in terms of the rewards that will be received. So it's not a matter of coming in at the same level. All, all of us are coming in, but it's the idea that God will give some rewards and maybe some of them they won't. Did the questioner, did they state that
2: their neighbor is a believer? Yes. They did at They're the They're believers, but, but not interested in religious activity or, or anything. Right. Yeah. So I think scripture declares that faith is the criteria for salvation, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was risen from the grave, you will be saved. Remember the story of the jailer in Acts where Paul is in jail and the earthquake comes and opens everything up and the Jehor rushes in. He's about to kill himself because he thinks everybody's gone. But Paul says, no, wait, 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 we're still here. And and I think understanding and probably hearing Paul and his fellow prisoners singing and worshiping God the, the whole night prior to this, he says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says we're saved by faith. But then, Greg, as you were just saying, the next verse in Ephesians 2, verse 10, says, created in Christ Jesus to to do do good good works. works. So salvation comes from faith. Now that you're saved, God wants you, desires you, has made you to do good works. Now, we can never see another man's heart. Only God can see another man's heart. But if they profess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts he's risen from the grave, I think they are saved.
1: Well, you take a look at, at even a little further in that book in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself be saved, but only as through fire. What's interesting about those six elements, three of them are very combustible when it comes to fire, wood, hay, and stubble. So we may think we've done things for the Lord, but it may be evaluated as wood, hay, and stubble. When it comes to the other three metals, they're purified by fire. They become even more pure. So I think that may be a kind of a picture of the, the grid through which uh, what we've done in the Lord is going to be evaluated and in, in terms of it. Would it be wood and stubble or would it be gold or silver or precious stone?
3: As a pastor, I learned an interesting lesson because pastors always have strange sheep. I mean, people come to church, they make a commitment to Jesus, and then you don't see him again, or they rarely show up Christmas and Easter. And I used to go and appeal to them, well, you're, you're a member of the church, you know, you were raised this. You know, you should be—didn't get anywhere. And then one day, in my heart, I don't know what conviction the Lord brought me under, but I started talking to people. I'd say, Jeff, you know, what does Jesus want you to do? Jeff, do you think Jesus wants you there among fellow believers? Jeff, are you serving Jesus in what you're doing in a way that he'd be honored and the angels are clapping in heaven? And once I began to do that, it got out of from me and what I wanted— the people had to start thinking about what Jesus wanted. And I just had a guy tell me, not long ago, he said, you remember five years ago when you said this to me? I couldn't remember what I said to him. He said, it changed my life. I said, you're kidding. How did it change your life? He said, because I came into confrontation with Jesus through what you said. Up to that point, I was in confrontation with you.
0: Well, all right. We're off to a wonderful start with Guy Talk or Guys Do Talk. Shoot your questions over. You can send them... Uh by text eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. 933 If you like email better, I'm open to that too. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Jeff, Tom, Greg, they're here, ready to take your questions. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. We're back. Guide Talk. Guys who talk, let me know what questions you have. Comment came in about, what about you must be born again? That was from the previous
2: 15 minutes. Jeff, I'm looking your well, way. You must. Uh, I mean, Jesus said that, right? He said, y- You cannot, You no one can enter the kingdom of God, John 3, verse 5, unless they were born of water and of spirit. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to explain this, Jesus was trying to explain this to Nicodemus that night. And he says, Flesh gives birth to flesh. That is your physical birth from your parents, from your mother and father. And But he says, but spirit gives birth to spirit. That is the new birth, the being born again, uh, that is done by the spirit. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Your spirit, the part of you that is spirit, in the Greek it's the pneuma. Remember, you are body, soul, and spirit. That is the part of you that's dead outside of God, outside of Christ. And that is the part of you that becomes alive the moment you believe and be saved, like we were talking about in the last segment, You are made spiritually alive. You now have life. So uh, in the end, there's only two types of people in this world, right? There are those who who know Christ and are saved and have life. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Those who are born again, those who are not born again. Those are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, and those who are spiritually alive and united with Christ. Those are the two types of people in the world. All right. Thank you, guys. Let's see. Um, here
0: is something about Revelation twenty-one twenty-three says, In Jerusalem there will be no need for the sun or moon or stars because Jesus will be the light. I hear pastors and people say all the time there will be no sun or stars on the new earth. But it seems to me that the passage says they'll still be there. But is it just implying that their light won't be needed like it is now because Jesus will be brighter than the sun?
2: That is such an observant question. I agree. Because as I, I love to teach on the end times, and that is exactly my view. I don't think it says that there is no sun. It says there will be no need for the sun because God is the earth's light at that point. So very observant question. That is a good question. I like it.
0: All right. There's another question. Why do some denominations not do full immersion baptisms? Are there any examples of sprinkling of water baptisms anywhere
3: in the Bible? That's a push. You know, being a Lutheran, uh, we have to deal with that all the time. Um, Immersion, here's the funny part. Immersion in the Bible, or or baptismo, means immersion. Yes. But what that immersion meant... We weren't there, so we don't have the full implication of that. Now, I do believe, I baptize people in rivers, I baptize people in pools, I've done an awful lot of that, and I'd rather baptize babies that way, too. That's just me. But I was just, you know, thinking as we're sitting here, I was just reading through the early church fathers, and most people don't read those texts very closely. There are 19 distinct passages that talk about Peter, James, and John baptizing infants of all <clears throat> things, and this is from the 2nd and 3rd century. Now, that is isn't Scripture. I'm not putting on a part with scripture, Uh, but I would say whenever possible, whether it's a child or an adult, baptize them, immerse them. Now, here's the problem. I have my friends who say to me, my Lutheran friends, well, if they're a child, how can they believe? Well, John the Baptist did in his mother's womb. He left when Jesus came in the room. So we got a problem there. We got one example. The other thing is, what do we do with all the kids that have brain damage? They don't have the intellectual capacity to respond to Jesus the way you and I do. Does that exclude them from the kingdom of God? No. The covenant concept from the Old and New Testament is that the Lord is reaching out even to the most uh, dramatically paralyzed out there and speaking to them on a level they understand. And so I do believe that uh, if the person—here's the bottom line. When I baptize an adult or a child in my church, I say to them, the bottom line is this. Yes, you have entered the covenant, but now walk in that covenant— and as the child grows, we need to tell this child over and over and over who made the covenant with them. His name is Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, then the baptism itself isn't going to get them into the kingdom of God. So, yeah, I'm kind of a radical Lutheran that way, but I'm kind of caught between the two worlds because I've tried to be thoroughly biblical. And in the Bible, you can kind of get a glimpse of both to some form. Yeah, I'm I'm,
1: I'm actually committed to uh, immersion uh, by uh, in baptism. Not because there's some impartation of grace that happens when you, when you descend below the water and you rise above. It's the symbolism, the impact, the proclamation, um, the testimony of what it represents, that we are burying our old life and we are taking on a new life through the power of the Spirit of God. We're declaring that we intend to live our lives differently. And as a demonstration of that, then you have this wonderful illustration of going below water and coming up anew. So, it's not an impartation of grace. It's a powerful proclamation of a commitment that's being made. So,
2: you just heard, you know, kind of two different takes on water baptism and how certain denominations or groups, uh, what they believe about water baptism. Some practice it one way, others practice it another way, and so on. And 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 there's reasons for both right there's probably many reasons that both kind of groups have on determining one way or another the the i would like to just kind of change the subject a little bit because i'm going to i'm going to change from water baptism to what scripture describes of is called the baptism of the holy spirit and the most important baptism is the baptism of the holy spirit because i think scripture points to the truth that in acts 10 and 11 The baptism of the Holy Spirit, as it's described, is receiving the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved, you've believed in Christ and you're saved. You have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is therefore the most important baptism at all. Now, in different groups of churches, they'll practice the water baptism. I tend to fall on the death, burial, and resurrection symbolism of immersion as well. But the most important baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit.
3: And there's a friend of mine who is very much a fundamentalist, and I'm a fundamentalist really as a Lutheran. It's hard to believe, but I am. But he's very much, and he came to a baptism I did in a river. And when I got done, he said to me, that wasn't a good baptism. I said, what do you mean that wasn't a good baptism? I said, i baptized and held under the water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He goes, you got to dunk them three times. Now, this is where we get... There's another view for you. There's where we get ourselves in trouble when we start going that route. We have to stay focused on the goal of baptism is to know Jesus. The
1: baptism of the Holy Spirit is defined as that work whereby the Spirit of God places the believer in union with Christ yeah, and into union with other believers in the body of Christ As the at the moment of salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was... Uh, predicted by John the Baptist in mm-hmm. Mark 1 8 and by Jesus before he sent it into heaven. So um, the idea is is that it it happens at the moment of conversion.
0: Agreed. All right, Agreed. gentlemen, off to a great start. Keep your questions coming. 877 933 2484. Again, 877 933 2484. There's no question that we uh, are not afraid of, exception of a few here and there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we'll be right back. Time for guy talk, and I think uh, what, what would you say, guys? We're are we being fairly
3: agreeable? A little disagreement here and there. Good discussions. Oh, well, we're, we're just di- talking and having a good time because we're being honest with the scriptures and with one another.
1: Mm-hmm. Doesn't Which get I,
3: any better. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Thank
0: you for that. All right, um, here's a question. I have a friend who I shared Jesus with many years ago. He accepted Jesus and even attended a Bible school for a couple of years in his early twenties. He's now in his mid-60s and has been living an active gay lifestyle for many years, which we've talked a lot about. He says he doesn't believe in sin. So he doesn't confess or ask God for help and repentance, and I'm concerned about his soul. I know on this earth we won't be able to completely stop sinning, but if my friend doesn't want to admit his active gay lifestyle is sinful and therefore doesn't confess or try to repent, where does that leave him regarding his salvation and eternal security? He also said he thinks Jesus will save everybody and that if a person dies unsaved, God will allow them to accept Jesus when they see God after they leave this world. I think that's called universalism. Yeah, it is.
3: Who wants to take a swipe at that? It's always great to speculate on what scripture doesn't say in order to get to say what we want it to say. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to be careful of. The other reality is this, um, I don't know the circumstances of this man receiving Jesus. Um, I know people that have said the words, but I'm not convinced they were really giving their life to Jesus. And I hate to put it that way. On the other hand, you know, like people we know, Bill, you and I know people that uh, have a tendency to lean toward the gay lifestyle and very driven, but they don't and they refuse because they want to be right with Jesus and they want to treat other people well. So it's a struggle for a lot of people. And our society, the way we've accepted this, uh, is really sad what most people don't know getting to be a pastor, you get to talk with a lot of people after they've entered these lifestyles because then they come looking for help and among the men in the gay lifestyle, my experience has been uh it's not an easy lifestyle, and there has a tendency to in the gay lifestyle for the men to be angry with one another a lot and they they hurt one another at times now that can happen in a marriage with the man and wife. But the point is it's not the way the Lord designed it. And I want people to be healthy. And I have lots of people come to me trying to get out of this all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, you can come to Christ and start off so well, but all of a sudden something happens and there is a descent back into the life in which you used to live. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17, talks about this downward progression And it was written to Christians. There's a corollary to it in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, for non-Christians and what happens when you disregard, uh, even by general revelation, the existence of God. But this passage is talking to Christians. Let me just share it with you. It says, Now this I say to you and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. So the beginning of this downward spiral is a hardening of the heart, which begins with many, M-I-N-I, compromises in your beliefs. Now, it goes on. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. And assuming that you have heard from him and were taught in him as the truth to put off your old self and put on your new self and so forth. So there's a downward possibility of a, of, of a progression, if you will, downwards, when you start to make many compromises with your faith. And we're all susceptible to that. And the idea is, is that Paul is reminded us, don't live that way. Don't live like you used to live. But sometimes we're so far down, it's going to take another brother or sister in Christ to come alongside of us to help us out of that. And so we end up compromising our faith as we start to uh, get our hearts become calloused.
2: So he asks about what about his friend, what's going to happen to his friend. Uh, We just kind of discussed this in the last segment. We can't see somebody's heart. Only God can see the heart. So uh, we can't. Tell you what's going to happen to any individual, uh, because we can't see inside of them. We can talk about the doctrine, the doctrine of assurance of salvation. That once you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. And I think once you are born again, you're born again for all of eternity, uh, regardless of what of if you then end up living carnally, like the Corinthians did, which yeah. Paul was telling them, stop living carnally, get back on the road of living out your your sainthood. Um, but he said, but then later on, he said that his friend said a couple of things that are just not true biblically, that he doesn't believe in sin. Well, God believes in sin and there's consequences to sin. In fact, he says the wages of sin is death. So there are, there is sin and there are consequences to sin. He also said that he will save everybody. And that's also not true. It's, you don't have to get too far in scripture to see there are some who are saved and Others who are lost. There's a broad gate that leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate that leads to eternal life. There's sheep and goats, wheat and tares, the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, so not everyone is saved, and that is a clear teaching of Scripture.
1: And, and we're actually warned about that in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out uh, of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and compl- eat patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, yeah. but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into amiss. So we can get so far down that road What I was just referring to that we are only going to listen to people that support the position or the decision we've already made. And now if this person believes there is no sin and believes in universal salvation, then this passage talks about the fact that mm. they're embracing myths to suit the passions that they've adopted and embraced in their life.
3: I wish I could engage this gentleman. And here's the very simple reason. And the, for- friend. Yes, yeah. the friend. Yes, the friend. The friend. Uh, pretend I'm not a pastor at this moment, right? When I deal with somebody that is so animate in that kind of a belief system, claimed Jesus at one time or was in church or whatever, now has drifted away and now making all these claims of universalism and no sin or whatever, oftentimes I will say to them, so please answer one question for me. Are you saying Jesus is a liar? Hmm. Because he says in his word, the path to eternity is narrow. The path to destruction is broad. He says There is sin. And without his sacrifice, you can't get to heaven. So are you telling me Jesus was wrong? You know, show me in the Bible where Jesus is wrong. And I have actually seen people stop in their tracks because too often they can argue with this. Well, I don't care what the Bible says, whatever. You start personalizing Jesus with people, and it is incredible how people stop in their tracks and begin to think. And I had one guy tell me, he said, I I hated you for a long time after you did. I said, why? He said, I couldn't sleep. But he said you were right, and I'm glad I finally came back to the Lord. What if they pull, that's your interpretation card? That's your interpretation card. Then what they need to do is I will show them what the scriptures actually say. I'll take them to those passages, and they tell me what it doesn't say. And oftentimes when we do that, they're kind of stuck. I always love the atheists I work with because they will tell me, I've read the Bible. I have studied all religion. I know this is true. And I'll go, well, great. you know, I had cancer eight years ago. And I studied everything I could apart from the doctor to make sure I was getting the best treatment. Wouldn't you do that? Of course I would. You're betting your eternity on it. You say you know it. So here, just answer one question. Tell me the seven claims of Jesus in the Gospel of John. They're so important. And I've never had a single person be able to give me those seven claims. And then I say to them, Are you kidding me? You're betting your entire eternity upon hearsay? You've never really looked that closely. You really don't know. And sometimes people get back in the Word, sometimes they won't. Mm. Thank you
0: for that, Tom Parrish. All right, gentlemen, uh, here's a simple question. I think, would you consider the
2: thief on the cross to be saved? Definitely. Yeah, Jesus said he was. In fact, the thief on the cross is such a powerful picture of salvation that all it takes is simple faith, nothing else. The thief didn't do good works. He didn't belong to the right denomination. He never went to church he never gave to the poor in fact he probably stole from the poor uh he didn't do any religious activities he was a thief he was a criminal being killed but he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom he recognized who this jesus was and although they were both about to die on a cross he believed that jesus had the power to bring him into his future kingdom
1: you remember bill uh yesterday uh, when we were talking about this whole idea of can. I don't believer, remember much from yesterday. Where <laughs> <laughs> a believer. I really don't. That can was a believer. a long time ago, Greg. <laughs> can a believer be blotted out? Yes. From the book of life. And you had made a comment about what about that individual who, right up to the last minute, had not received Christ, but then he receives Christ. This is a perfect example of what you were talking about yesterday. At the very last moment before he dies, God welcomes him through Christ into the kingdom because of his simple confession to Jesus on the cross. So there's evidence that God's not finished with you yet, but I'm encouraging you not to wait until you're on your deathbed, because you don't even know if you're going to be aware at the moment. But here's an example that even at the very last second, Mm -hmm. God embraces him into heaven.
3: This is why the name of Jesus is so offensive to the world. And even in the church, we have a hard time with it. Because as you said, Jeff, simply trusting Jesus, calling on his name, and you're saved. Well, what else do you have to do? Well, you don't have to do anything else. You trust in Jesus, and that's offensive to most people. Mm -hmm. And the devil goes to work on us. you got to be kidding. There's got to be a lot more than that. And that's where we have the battles. You won't have to do something else, but you're compelled to want to do something else for the glory of God.
2: God says there's no other name under heaven that by which men can be saved except for the name of Jesus. I was talking to somebody once and they said, do you know that the name of Jesus and God is the only name around the world in different cultures and different languages that is used as a curse, right? People say, God this and Jesus that and so on. Nobody ever uses the name of You know, Buddha damn or, you know, (laughs) Muhammad this or whatever. Why is that? I think it's because Satan knows there's no power in any other name and no other God has given the command that you will not use my name in vain other than the one true God. And that's why that's
3: common around the world. You ever go duck hunting? uh, No, pheasant hunting. You don't shoot dead ducks. You only (laughs) shoot the ones that are flying and Jesus (laughs) is the only one that's flying. There you go. All right, Greg, I'm looking your direction because we were talking about that your name's blotted
0: out. The question is, if an eight-month pregnant woman is not saved and the rapture
1: happened, would the child go up to heaven? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, because that child it's, it, it, it is seen as a human being at the moment of conception. It has not reached the age of accountability where they're able to consider the claims of the gospel. And therefore, just as David witnessed his child, who was mm-hmm. taken from him, Due to his illicit relationship, and David says um, that he can't come to to David, but David will be coming to him. So the idea is is that child is definitely saved.
2: I agree I agree I it's I think that David
1: passage is one of the
2: proof texts that we have to to uh, to confidently say that unborn children or even children of very young ages will be in heaven one day.
0: All right. Great response. Love the questions. Keep them coming. 877-933-2484. Got a question about Genesis chapter 41. When we come back, Genesis 41, 57, guys, start looking it up and we'll take a break and come back and hopefully you'll send your question over. Don't be shy. 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. That's what they do. And we've got questions. And they're going to give their best answers. So if you've got a question, send it over. Uh, The text is 877-933-2484. If you're a little bit more comfortable with email, I'll check my emails as well. It's bill at myfaithradio.com. So uh, here's the question that came from Genesis chapter 41, verse 57 says, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe all over the earth. Question Did they know that the earth was round back then? And did people from every country, even those on the other side of the globe, come seeking grain? And also, Genesis 44 5 and 44 15 talk about Joseph and his divination cup. Did Joseph practice divination?
2: Who wants to go? F- the earth, earth is round? Wish we know that for sure. Okay. I no. was checking. <laughs> You guys are geniuses. I'm delaying here. Okay.
1: Now, interesting, if you go back in 41, verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all of the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says, do. So when the famine had spread all over the land, uh, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And then you had the verse 57, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because of the famine was severe all over uh, the earth, over all the earth. So it's hard to 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 read into this um, and say that it could only be near the countries surrounding Egypt. So whatever the world was considered to be the world at that time, in terms of the places in which were inhabited, it's very possible that there was a famine that was worldwide. I mean, that's just what the passage says. Or it could be a an hyperbole to describe the immediate environs of which they're around, uh, the immediate countries which they're around. So it, it, it's just hard to say which is which.
2: I tend to fall on the hyperbole side. He's saying uh, in, in all the world, like in all the land around us, and that, you know, they didn't know the North and South American continents, right? And, and it wasn't discovered yet, and they, so... I don't know if it was all the world, in, as as in everywhere on the on the face of the earth, as in as in all the known world or the area or, you know around that. But especially when you say there were seven years of abundance in Egypt, yeah. and then when that came to an end. So, um, but I, it it probably could be interpreted either way. All right,
0: uh, Tom. If you've got nothing, I'll move on. But the, but
2: the Earth is round, by the way. We it know is. that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, they have offices all around the world, right? Yeah. Yep. All right.
0: Hello, talking guys. Can you explain King David and Abigail? I don't hear much about this relationship since I thought David and Bathsheba were always a couple. Can you explain Abigail's contributions? Let's see. And I think we find learn about Abigail and First Samuel, don't we? 1 Samuel twenty-five. That sound familiar? I'm
3: that the only does. One right now.
2: Yep. <laughs>
0: Which I can continue to do because I do host the show. <laughs> so as you guys scramble to find out uh, where Abigail shows up, I know she was one of David David's wives, and um, Abigail I think was also the the wife of uh, Nabel. I don't know. This is a, this is a, tr- a good one.
1: Ab- uh, Abigail actually was yep. one of David's wives. Her story is found, in, and as you mentioned, Bill, in 1 Samuel 25. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the story, Abigail is the wife of a wealthy man called Nabal. You remember the story now, who lived in a town called Moan in the wilderness of Paran, an area near the Sinai Peninsula. Abigail was an intelligent and beautiful woman, the scripture says, in, in 1 Samuel 25, 3, who saved her husband and his household prevented David from doing something rash and secured an unexpected future for herself. That's how she actually became the wife of David. So um, we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 25. All right. That's what I'm seeing here.
0: Cool. Thing. All right. My five-year-old daughter was recently exposed to the concept of ghosts in the context of Halloween. She's curious and wants to know what they are. I want to give her a truthful answer. What should I tell her?
2: Disembodied spirits? Is that a ghost? Yeah, I mean, we have several descriptions of spiritual beings, if you will, Um, but primarily we have, in Scripture, angels, uh, and we have good and fallen angels, and then we have demons. Demons are always portrayed as bad, uh, some kind of disembodied spirit of some sort or another. Um, if we can believe, uh, Jude, for example, that the fallen angels are being held for judgment since the time of the flood, I'm going to take them out of the picture for a second and go right to demons. So we it, it, traditionally, a ghost is a disembodied spirit of a person who is still kind of wandering the earth in some way. I think scripture paints a picture that whether you are righteous or unrighteous, when a person dies, they're immaterial part, their soul either goes to be with the Lord in paradise or down to Hades. So I don't think that ghosts can be disembodied humans, but we do know that there are demons in the spiritual realm and they wander around this earth and they're very real and they're talked about in scripture. So, um, yeah, so I I think there's probably demons. I
1: mean, the Bible negates the whole idea of spirits of deceased human beings kind of hanging around on earth uh, to haunt the living, because the passage that you 're referring to is hebrews nine twenty seven man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, so he 's in the presence of of Christ,
3: so the idea is they 're not going to be hanging around, scaring us <laughs> well the demonic is something that we really don 't even want to talk about today i mean it 's in movies it 's great, but people very don't really... much so anymore by the way, yeah, but people don 't really want to think of demonic in terms of uh, <coughs> excuse me real beings that are are a problem. But remember, they're evil. And the Bible says that those that are evil like that, lying is their natural Mm -hmm. nature. So they're going to present themselves as your deceased mother or your deceased father or something like that and try to pull you into something that will ultimately destroy your life. And I've seen this happen to people. I mean, it's tragic. I've seen three people commit suicide because they thought they were in touch with family members, you know, and got taken down a pathway uh, that I found out about Hmm. later. And it's terrible. Demons, yes. I've run into them. I've dealt with them. Ghosts, I I think when Casper the Friendly Ghost came along, it was a great cartoon, but it misled a lot of people as to what's really going on. All right. Thank you. Tom Parrish. Uh question, what are the uh why are the extra
0: books in the Catholic Bible excluded from the uh, regular Bible canon?
2: Oh, that's a long discussion, but uh that's there's why there's I asked actually for some, three minutes
0: to go. There's some yeah. <laughs> I'm giving you guys a big out.
2: Um look, to be I the Old Testament scriptures were given to the Jews. So the Jews are the keepers of the Old Testament. They were, they always have been, they they will be. So for some church group or New Testament set of believers to try to add to the Old Testament, uh is just wrong. That's a Jewish book and the Jews care for it. For the New Testament, we had most of the books of the Bible were being used as Scripture by most churches. And it was the canonization process was churches coming together because some of these false Gospels were coming in and coming around 100 years after the fact, and they said, hey, we better protect what is Scripture and define it and make a list. So I think the canonization process was was much more the church saying, here's what Scripture is, than declaring what is Scripture.
1: Yeah. It's called the Apocrypha or the uh, Deuterocanonical uh, books is mm-hmm. what, it, what it's referring to. And so what happened was that in um, the, the, the Bible was defined at the Council of Trent in, in the mid-1500s, primarily in response to the, the Protestant Reformation. But the Apocrypha, um, it, there were errors that disagreed. There were pieces of the Apocrypha that disagreed with scripture unequivocally what scripture was and so that's why they were not included in uh, as what we know is the bible but the roman catholics adopted it because they were, uh, frankly because there was a lot of agreement in those apocrypha for some of the beliefs that the catholics embraced that are not necessarily in in scripture
3: the ethiopian church has done the same thing there are different groups out there that have incorporated these I think, though, that basic Protestantism stays with what we have in the New Testament and the Old, and that's been pretty well solidified. But I think, Greg, you're absolutely right. The Apocrypha helps uh, certain theologies or teachings that we wouldn't support from Scripture.
1: Yeah, and some of the examples are, for instance, that are in the Apocrypha are praying for the dead, where Scripture, uh, in no way, says that, that we should do that, petitioning saints in heaven for their prayers, worshiping angels, almsgiving. Uh, as a means of atoning for sins, so those were some of the errors that that uh, we're talking about, and that's why they didn't weren't included in the uh, six, six
2: books. And very specifically, I love there's a scene in Revelation where John is getting a vision from the angel, and he bows down to this angel, and the angel says, "John, get up, get up. I'm yeah. a fellow servant just like you. Worship God." Alone, So we never, never worship worship angels.
0: All right, gentlemen, that was a fast hour. Wouldn't you all agree?
1: Very fast. Yeah,
0: no, there's some great questions that came in this hour, which we didn't quite get to, but we have a whole nother hour ahead. So we're going to get to your question. I hope you still have time to continue listening. And if you can't, check out the podcast because your question will show up in hour two. In the meantime, there's lots of other people that I know would love to get their questions on air. So send them over. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. My panel today is Jeff Redorn, Tom Parrish, and Greg Borgond. They are ready and willing to take your questions. We'll be right back with Hour 2 of God Talk. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support.